Good morning and welcome again to Randall Church. My name is Pastor Milo. I think it's appropriate that Brian would share the story about staying up too late to watch a football game last night. Because the first thing I want to talk about this morning is being sleepy. (laughs) So some of you are looking back at me with eyes wide with excitement for what would Pastor Milo have to say today. There's two of you, my wife and one other. And then the rest of you... (laughs) The rest of you don't quite look like that. Uh, April of 2016, I was driving along in my car and I was listening to NPR and they did this uh, radio kind of special, just a five-minute interview that caught my attention enough that I marked it down and said, someday I'm going to use that as a sermon illustration. So today is the day. Many grouchy, error-prone workers just need sleep. That was the beginning of the article. It says, hey, you wake up, you need another cup of coffee. And so actually a third of people are coming to work at your workplace and at my workplace perhaps, coming to work, a third of people are sleep deprived and their employers are paying for it. Ultimately, when you look at the the stats, the stats that this uh, survey did, uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation report found that a third of Americans get less sleep than the recommended seven hours a night. So if you want to be vulnerable tonight, will you rate today, will you raise your hand if you got less than seven hours of sleep last night? All right, so the rest of you got a fair amount of sleep, but a third of you, that was, right? Did everyone see the hand? Let's do the hands again. Did we see that? That's about a third of you that did not get seven hours of sleep last night. So Bill Driscoll, account temps regional president in the greater Boston area, says sleepy accountants have even admitted to making costly mistakes. Here's some examples that he gave. This is what caught my attention when I was listening to it driving down the road. I had to go back and look later. He said one person deleted a project that took a thousand hours to put together. Press the delete button. Another person missed a decimal point on an estimated payment and the client overpaid by one million dollars. Oops. How would you like to be that client? You know, like, oh yeah, sorry, I just moved the decimal over. Big deal, yeah, sorry. One million dollars. In fact, Uh, Many people aren't noticing it, but at the end of the day, that legally you might be the same as being intoxicated, where you would not be allowed to drive, would be the same impairment that you have. A third of you, thanks for raising your hands. (laughs) A third of you, when you go to work in the morning, might be at the same impairment as someone who would be not legal to be on our highways. Sleepiness Sleeplessness has a long and tortured history. It was in the 15th century that sleep deprivation was documented as a way to punish prisoners. And so uh, some of you are punishing yourself. Not getting enough sleep is painful. Sleep, uh, excuse me, 50% of Americans wake up saying that they don't feel refreshed or well rested at all. The modern marketplace has exploded with solutions for this. There are all kinds of different ways that you can get the magic pillow. I think it's actually called that, the magic pillow. Uh, you can get a, a bed that's going to help you with this. You can get a, a pill or a, you know, a, a something, a whole, what am I trying to say? NyQuil is in a bottle. There it is. The word was bottle. <laughs> Just stick with me. I'll get there eventually. Okay to help you as a sleep aid to be able to get you to go to sleep. In fact, Americans spent an estimated $41 billion on sleep aids and remedies in 2015. 
And by the year, by the year 2020, it's expected to grow to $52 billion industry. All to go to sleep. Why can't we sleep? We are people who desperately want to go to sleep and just can't seem to find it. We are by definition, and this is where we're going today, restless. We are by definition restless. Kevin Kleitchis in the Huffington Post puts five signs that you are restless. Number one, you are unhappy at your job. Number two, you don't know what you want to pursue. Number three, you don't have time for the things that truly matter. Number four, you're passionate, but it fades quickly. Number five, you are easily overwhelmed. You are restless. Are you restless? So except for the staff here at the church, how many of you would admit that you're over 30 and you thought about quitting your job? A few of you, yes. The reason why I ask is if you're over 30, because typically if you're in your 20s, you're trying to make that decision of what's the job that I want to do, where do I want to land, what is it that I'm going to pursue. But once you get into your 30s, you should be able to start to line up and say, this is where I got my degree in, this is where I've spent my time, my effort, my energy getting into this job field, and now this is where I should stay. You know what the average uh, time in a job is now in the United States? The average is 4.4 years in a job. Where previously people would spend 30, 40, 50 years in a job, working that job, and now our average has been reduced to 4.4 years. We are restless. I had a teacher in high school that, that kind of dealt with this with high school students. He called it the John Deere syndrome. Now, I grew up in a different high school than many of you did. I understand that. But the John Deere syndrome is this. Uh, it was a biology class. His name was Mr. Britton. And the, the way that his class uh, sat, there was glass windows all along the side. And in the spring, you could see the soccer fields. And the John Deere man came across and started mowing back and forth in the grass in the soccer field. And it did not matter in the least bit what Mr. Britton was teaching on. The John Deere man was the most exciting thing going on in that in the day. Like it was this total distraction over what's right in front of you. And there's something about that, this boyish ambition to look towards what's just over the horizon or just what's through the window, what's just out there. If you, you remember that expectancy that you had when class would get out and you run out the door, but you don't even know where you're going, but at least you're not in that class anymore. And so we as an adults, we, we have that same kind of expectancy, looking over the horizon, something has got to be out there that's better than where I am right now. We don't know what it is, what we're pursuing, or what we're going after, but maybe that will make me a little bit happier than I am right now. We are restless. I want to find a place where my soul can find rest. I want to find, my soul wants to find a home. It's like every generation has gone to the gym and gotten on to a treadmill or a stationary bike and just pedaled their brains out. And they just pedal, 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 pedal until they collapse and fall on the ground. And then the next generation comes along and says, well, that was really dumb. Let me show you how to do it. And they get back on the stationary bike and they pedal, 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 pedal until they collapse and fall on the ground. It's this cycle that we're in searching for rest. To remind you, this is not an American problem. It is a human race problem. St. Augustine, in his confessions, this is the third century, says, You made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is the third century. You made us for yourself, talking about God, and our hearts are restless 
until they rest in you. Are you restless? Do you feel it? Welcome to the human race. Welcome to America. Welcome to Randall Church today. Welcome to Hebrews chapter 4, because Hebrews chapter 4 is all about rest. So if you'll get you out your Bibles this morning, and I hope you have a copy of God's Word, Hebrews chapter 4. You can use an iPhone or an Android, that's fine. You're looking for Hebrews chapter 4, the U version is a good way to go. If you're using the Bibles in the back of the pew in front of you, that's an NIV Bible, so that's what we're going to track with today so we can all be on the same page. If you're looking for a page number in those Bibles, it's 1255. That's the page number you're looking for. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning to help us focus together and maybe help us wake up a little bit. Now that you've got your Bibles open, you're at Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read the whole passage together. So would you stand with me this morning? We're in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and you just read along and I will read it aloud. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard of was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, so I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again said on a certain day, calling it today, this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in a passage we already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For Joshua had given them rest. God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from him, his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give in account. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word that you've made alive and active for us today. Lord, as we dig in here today, I pray that you would speak loudly and speak clear to us and help us to find your rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So welcome to the human race. We have been searching and searching and searching for rest. If you have in your bulletins this morning, you have a sheet there to help you work through your notes together with us today. The question we asked at the beginning is, how can you find rest when the chaos never quits? How can you find rest when the chaos never quits? 
Let me give you a picture, a snapshot into our home this week. The chaos was real. There was all kinds. I've got four kids and a three-legged dog and a 1,300-square-foot house. It's always moving. I came out of the bathroom. I think it was Friday morning. I came out of the bathroom, maybe Thursday morning. Came out and Aaron, in the evening, and Aaron said, don't say anything. There was three minutes of silence. We don't know how it happened. You know, each kid had found a different spot in the house to like put together a puzzle and read a book. If you had come to our house during that moment, you would have thought your pastor was the greatest parent ever. All we had was three minutes, but it was glorious. <laughs> so picturing that, we kind of stumbled into that three minutes of silence, three minutes of rest. As we dig into our passage today, maybe you don't have to stumble into it. Maybe rest is about more than silence. And so I'm going to give you a few pictures to look at here as we move our way through. First picture that we need to have, though, the first way we need to go about this is this one right here. Recognize, this is a fill-in, if you're filling that in. Recognize your value in God. Do you want to find rest in the middle of the chaos that never quits? Recognize your value in God. I'm going to read through those verses again. Verse 1 said, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we have also had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was what? Of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. At Canaan, at the promised land, that was a picture of the rest. As they are coming into the promised land, that is a picture of the rest that they find in God through faith in him. That is the rest that they were looking for. That's what the promised land was about. When you go into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, this is where you will find rest. Yet it says here that the good news was of no value to them. And so as we discussed last week when we talked about heart disease and how the heart led them astray, and they're hardened hearts, and God says, you know what, you can wait for 40 years in the desert. I'll take a generation in who wants to find rest through faith and trust, and they find their value in God. So they get to that point, and Joshua says, okay, now it's time for us to go into the promised land. And he goes to God and he says, what is it that you want me to do? We're looking around, we don't have any, there's, there's no soldiers, that are, there's no armor that we have here. And he says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to assemble the best marching band that you can possibly find. The plumes and everything. Get them all together. Get them ready. And we're going to march into the land of the giants, this Canaan's land. We're going to march in and we're going to take over the land. You had to imagine that these men and these women are looking back and forth at each other saying, Joshua, are you, we're, what, we're doing what? It says, oh yeah, God told me to do this. He told us to march in with the full marching band, color guard. We're, we're going in and we're taking over the land. Those men, those women who followed him in thinking, man, I don't know. I wish Moses was here. This guy might get us killed. But... The ones who 
stepped across the Jordan River, the ones who followed him in, they understood that their value was not in how they looked, how they dressed, how they were going into battle. Their value was found in who God is. Their worth was going to be not how valiant they were in battle, but in who God was because God was going to fight this battle at Jericho. And we try to make ourselves look better. We try to make ourselves feel significant about the amount of work or the number of hours. We brag about the number of hours that we work. And we try to get significance there. That's one of the reasons we strive so hard to get ahead. We are constantly fighting to prove ourselves, to make ourselves look better, to make ourselves, make other people aware of how valiant we are in battle, whatever your battle happens to be, and look like we have it all together. (coughs) Joshua's army did not look like they had it together. They looked like my kids playing in the basement, having a, a, a music party. Like this did not look like anyone who was going over to take over this fortress, this city of Jericho. But they did not find their value in how they looked. They did not find their value in what they did. They found their value in God. Your value is not found in what you bring to your job. Your value is found in one place. Your value is found in God and through his son, Jesus Christ. So how can you find rest when the chaos never quits? First, recognize your value in God. That's the first picture that we see there. Hebrews is taking us through these different snapshots of time. The second one is to embrace your security in God. To embrace your security in God. Here's another snapshot beginning in the second half of verse 3. It says, and yet his works have been finished since when? The creation of the world. Here's the snapshot. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again, above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. And so he is making this comparison to creation. He says, when you look at creation, those, when you look at that day of rest, He says, I've set that from the beginning. That snapshot is there. At God's creation, God's rest on the seventh day was a picture of the rest that we enjoy in him. The Sabbath was to remind them that God was the point, that we were created for God, and everything we do is for him. And sometimes we get ahead of ourselves when we forget. We think that the work that we're doing, we think that what we're about is so important that we couldn't possibly take a moment off. And I'm sure people back then objected to this command. Think about it. Crops had to be harvested daily. Water had to be obtained daily. Times were tight. Providing for yourself and for your family was hard. And yet they were getting this command from God that said, you need to take a day of rest. To cut your productivity by one-seventh would not be a wise decision. But God commanded them to do it. Why? Because he was going to make sure that they left space, to make sure that they understood that God would provide for them. And that is where their security would be found, that God was going to sustain them. Of course, you can't afford to take off the time. Neither could they. That's why God tells you to do it. That's why God tells you to rest. So you give him the space to provide for you, that you will trust that he will multiply your work to be able to fill in that gap. He will be your 
security. Of course, you can't afford to take off the time. Of course, you can't afford to give to the church. But God says, I will be your security. You don't tithe because you can afford it. You tithe because God is your security. He provides for you, and you embrace that, and he provides for me, and he says, give it back to me, and I will demonstrate that I am your security, that I am what will sustain you through. God promises to make up the difference. He'll do all he needs to do to bless the rest of the 90%. He says, I will be your security. Embrace that. How can you find rest when the chaos never quits? Recognize your value in God. Embrace your security in God. Thirdly, synchronize your days after him. Synchronize your days after God. Verse 6, therefore still, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain time. This is a new snapshot, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so Joshua had been given rest. God wouldn't spoke without another day. Canaan was not God's final rest. In David's day, the author of Hebrews said, in David's day, he was also able to find rest. It was available to God's people in his day. Think about how much time had passed, the author saying, between creation and then <coughs> when they were going into the Canaan land and crossing the now as David was the king. He's referencing a point in history where Israel has now taken the promised land. Israel has now got their leader, David, this valiant warrior. They are now extremely wealthy. They are extremely powerful. And they have an army now that can handle anybody. They're not worried about this marching band going around the city. They have an army who is going to take care of their problems. And yet King David goes like this. He says, you see this wealth. You see this power. You see the influence that we have. He said, if you look at that for your security, if you look at that for how we align ourselves and, and we think that this is going to keep us safe, you are missing the boat. He says, today we will synchronize ourselves after the very heartbeat of God. If we start to align ourselves and start to think that our security will be found in our power and our influence and our authority, then we are gravely mistaken. He says, today we will synchronize ourselves after God's heart. And in doing so, David is saying, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yes, we've got power. Yes, we've got influence. Yes, we feel safe. But we have not synchronized ourselves yet with God. When I was in the military, uh, we, we had to always, we would have a muster, it was called. You get everybody together. You get the platoon together. And our platoon leader, our, our uh, platoon sergeant would, would tell us, he says, you need to set your Mickey for, and he's talking about his Mickey Mouse watch, which he did not have a Mickey Mouse watch, but he wanted to assume that we all had Mickey Mouse watches because we were lame. So <laughs> he says, set your Mickeys to, and then he would tell us the time. And he would tell us to the second. So that if we were expected to be back 
an hour from that time that you were back at the time that he said was the time. It didn't matter whether his watch was an hour off. He says, set your time to my Mickey. Make sure that you know what the time is. Or when I was on fire watch, you would, at nights you would get fire watch duty. And so your responsibility, when you take over that fire watch, when you step in, you would have to call. In those days, we didn't, uh, how old am I, right? We didn't have cell phones. You weren't sure that the time was correct. And so the first thing you do, you have to call. Uh, we had a naval headquarters that we would call. And they would, the phone would pick up and they said, the current time is... And that was the time, and I had to go through and set all the clocks in the building or verify that every clock was set to that current time. Why? Because if you're not synchronized with it, there's no way that you are moving together. And David says we need to synchronize ourselves, synchronize our day. Today, he says, synchronize today after the heart of God. Do not let your hearts be hardened. Do not let that heart disease creep in, but let your hearts be aligned with God's heart. Synchronize today after God's heart. What's God's heartbeat for your life today? Get in sync with that. And each morning, each day, my platoon sergeant, he would give us the time of the day that morning. It hadn't changed since the day before, but we needed to align it today. We needed to start the day new. We needed to make sure that nothing had happened in the previous 12 hours when we had not seen each other so that we knew coming in that we were aligned, we were synchronized. Synchronize your day after God. How do you find rest when the chaos never quits? Synchronize your days after God. Lastly, treasure the word of God. Treasure the word of God. Verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him in whom we must give account. God is still appealing to us to find his rest. And the picture he gives here is this picture of purification that comes through God's word. A picture of purification. I wrote this week in our email newsletter that went out. And again, if that's not something you get, I'd love for you to be able to get that newsletter. It allows us to be able to connect with you. So you can fill that out in your connection card and we'll get you hooked up. But I wrote about it this week and we talked about as, as we are a church in transition, we are a church that is going through the process of revitalization. And I wrote about the, the process of revitalization is something that you cannot quit six months in or seven months in or nine months in. That process of revitalization is going to take time. It is going to take time for it to matriculate along. And all of a sudden you'll see that we are in a different spot. And so in that email I talked about a thousand days. Let's look a thousand days in and we'll see Christmas Eve 2018 was the date we gave there. Say, Christmas Eve 2018. Let's assess then. Let's see where we are then. Let's pray that God's grace will have revitalized this place then. So we expect, and you've already seen, there are some changes that have been made over the last six months, nine months, or a year. 
there's some changes that have been made. There's some adjustments that have been made. And over the next number of months as we move towards that thousand days, there'll be changes that happen and transition that happens. And we pray that church revitalization will be something that is demonstrated alive and powerful in that. And so in all the changes that we will make, you need to know and be assured the Word of God is not one of those changes. Our commitment to God's word would never be one of those changes. In fact, we, we take that very seriously. Why? Because God's word is alive, it is powerful, it is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, it says here. And if we get away from that, we're missing the boat. We're being very intentional about the process we go through when we are setting up sermon series and preaching through God's Word. We want to preach the whole counsel of God. And so in a three, four-year period, something like that, you will see that we will get through most of the Bible from cover to cover. Why? Because this is God's Word. And I can share a few funny stories, and we can enjoy one another's company, but if God's Word is not at the forefront of what we are doing, we cannot believe that lives will be changed and transformed and revitalized. But if we do... It says here, it will cut deeper. It will purify, sharper than any two-edged sword, a double-edged sword. What is happening there? The sword is cutting away. It is knifing through all that is not supposed to be there and leaving what God desires behind. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 is one of the great biblical texts on the power of God's word. The author has been warning the Hebrew church about what we know today as cultural Christianity, how easy it would be just to kind of follow along with things. He says, you've got to put God's word as a priority. You've got to understand that this is what is going to align your lives after him. They had come out of Egypt. They had applied the Passover blood. They had done fine there. And then they had come through the Red Sea. They had been sustained in the wilderness every day with water and with manna. And yet they come to what point where they did not trust God or obey God. They had missed it. As a result, they failed to find his rest. God's word knifes away at what shouldn't be there. And our coming series in the book of Malachi will deal with this. But there in Scripture, it calls this process the refiner's fire. The process of a refiner's fire. And that's what God's Word does to you and to me. He, he molds us, He shapes us like a, like a refiner's fire. Not like a forest fire that kills everything and destroys everything. Or not like an incinerator where there is nothing left there. But no, a refiner's fire is intentional because it, it leaves something behind. In our home, in our lives, is something that maybe it's me holding on to a little bit of the country boy that I am. We, we actually heat our house with wood heat. And so that means that this winter we'll burn through ten cords of wood that we've gone. And I didn't do all the splitting myself, but some family friends off of our property uh, we, we purchased the firewood from them. We brought in 10 cords of wood, and I've been chipping away at it all winter long. You just go out, and you have to bring in every few days, you know, about half a cord of wood. Uh, a cord of wood, which is 8 feet uh, long by 4 feet high. That's called a face cord. So we go through that about every week. So we've got 8 to 10 weeks here that we're pushing through this winter to be able to heat our home with wood. What does that mean, though? For me, that means that every morning, 
My alarm goes off at 3 o'clock in the morning. I have to get myself out of bed and go down to the basement and pull the wood apart, sometimes split little pieces off and make sure that that fire continues to burn. But there's something for me beautiful about as that fire starts to roar, as it starts to get warm, you just look into that fire and you just enjoy the warmth and enjoy what's going on there. And I was reminded this week in that passage of a refiner's fire, this is what God's word does. It cuts away everything that's not supposed to be there. Just like that wood burns. And if you had something of value in there, gold or a precious metal, everything else would burn away and all that would be left is what's of value. We need to treasure God's word. And so as Mario comes, we need to see these pictures. Literally, from day seven of creation. We see these snapshots. God takes his paintbrush and begins to paint this deal. He begins to paint the idea of salvation and rest all through Scripture. And the author of Hebrews has taken us there. He has taken us through creation, and then he has taken us through them going to the promised land. Then he's taken us through David, and then he brings us to God's word. And he says, now that you've got God's word, that's tangible, and you can read it. He says, God's word was what will sustain you. And over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, the same invitation is extended to you and me today to find rest. To find rest. Jesus Christ, God's son, came and died on the cross for you and for me so that we may enter his rest. Dear Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word today. Or as we've discussed about how it is powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray, Lord, that it is carving away this morning. That it is knifing away at the sin and lives here in this room. As it has with me this week in preparing, Lord, just realizing how unfit I am to even share this message. How restless I really am. But that restlessness of the human race, Lord, it's meant to drive us to you. So you are who we go to for security. You are who we find value in. And your word is where we find your truth. So this morning, Lord, if the truth has connected with someone here, Lord, I just pray that they would respond, that they would be refined they would make a choice to step forward and say, God, I can't do this. I'm restless. And the only way that I step forward is through your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're looking for rest, you do not have to be a new believer, someone who is just stepping into this relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been in a relationship for year after year after year. But have you forgotten where your value is? Have you forgotten where your security lies? I pray that this morning that God's word has spoken to you in a stronger way than I ever could. But if it has, I pray that you would come, meet with me in the back as Mario was singing this song. I would love to be able to talk with you for a few minutes or use that connection card. We got a few last week that we were able to interact with and pray for. If God is working in your heart this morning, would you write something down on that connection card and drop it off? on your way out.
pray that you would find rest. Would you stand as we sing together this morning?